Hi, this is Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to the Vein Magazine podcast. Over the years, many of you have enjoyed the Vein Magazine podcast that I've been doing, uh, but this time we're going to take things a little bit differently. And then I'll let you know where I'll be doing my podcast at the end of this. Today, we're going to listen to Dr. Tony Comoroda and Dr. Reyes Bashir talk about the management of pulmonary embolus and acute DVT, first beginning uh, with the time of COVID pandemic and what are some of the uh, unique causes, and then obviously extrapolating to the treatment of these patients once we do get the COVID pandemic under control, because obviously there's still going to be patients with pulmonary emboli and DVT. I think you'll find the discussion quite interesting and really gets down to some of the basic science, but also talks to us about the practical management utilizing the Bashir catheter. So take a listen. Uh, perhaps we can kick this off with um, a little review of the profound coagulopathy that occurs with, uh, with COVID-19 infection. And uh, to say that it is a complete coagulopathy is probably an understatement. We know that, that the infection occurs by the, the virus binding with the ACE2 receptor on, on membranes. And we find that receptor is plentiful in the lungs, it's in the liver, kidneys, but also it's on endothelial cells of arteries and veins which probably is part of the reason for this profound coagulopathy. And we do know that it affects platelets and platelet aggregation. We know that there are changes in the coagulation cascade and that can be measured by changes in the prothrombin time. There are decreases in antithrombin. There's of course endothelial injury when the virus uh, enters the cell, the endothelium is injured. That exposes tissue factor, so obviously it stimulates the coagulation cascade, but it's a profound stimulator of uh, platelet activation and platelet aggregation. And, uh, and we find that uh, all told, this can be a very profound coagulopathy, and we know by many series, even though patients are on prophylaxis uh, for venous thromboembolism, they're clotting. Uh, the Germans uh, showed us in the beginning of the pandemic where they decided they were going to, to do autopsies on the first 12 people that died of the virus. And they did. And they found that one third of those patients had major pulmonary emboli that either contributed to or were the cause of death in retrospect, but the diagnosis was not made pre-mortem. And, uh, and they found that 58% of those patients had proximal venous thrombosis, and the diagnosis was not made pre-mortem. So that sets the stage for our understanding that there's probably a lot more major thrombotic episodes that are going on and perhaps not recognized because of the severity of the inflammatory response that the COVID-19 has. 
So, um, so we have multiple studies. Uh, we know that that a, that the um, mortality is significantly elevated in patients who have uh, thrombocytopenia. It's significantly elevated in patients who have elevated B dimers, prolonged prothrombin times. So we're going to be called to see patients who have this major problem with the thrombosis. And I think one of the most effective ways of managing major thrombosis today in large arteries is, is catheter-directed thrombolysis. And we know that the, that the best mechanism of thrombolysis is activation of fibrin-bound plasminogen. And if we can deliver a plasminogen activator safely and effectively within the clot, we can expect that clot to dissolve. So with that as a background, um, Dr. Bashir, uh, could you give us your thoughts on the role of catheter-directed thrombolysis in, in these patients with acute ileal femoral DVT, and, and we'll get into also uh, submassive and massive PE. So the venous thromboembolism side of the circulation. Your thoughts? Sure, Dr. Kamaruda. Uh, you know, I, uh, it, it was a wonderful, you know, synopsis of the of what the pathology of thrombosis is in COVID patients. And early on in the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw a lot of these patients, uh, what we learned that when we did catheter-directed thrombolysis on COVID patients who had either iliofemoral DVT or had massive or submassive PEs, that we were able to dramatically shorten their length of stay in the ICU, and we were able to reduce their hospital lengths of stay. And this was a huge factor uh, for the ICU attendings and the attendings in the hospitals who were trying to clear beds for new patients at the height of the pandemic. So since then, we have basically considered all iliofemoral DVT patients and all submassive, high-risk submassive PE patients for catheter-directed thrombolysis. And the other advantage that we have found for particularly in pulmonary embolism patients with COVID is that the thrombolytic agent that we deliver right into the pulmonary arteries may also help microvascular thrombosis that has been seen in these patients on these autopsy studies uh, that you just mentioned. So, so not only we believe is the benefit of reducing the length of ICU stay and the hospital stay, but there might be some benefit in improving microvascular perfusion and alveolar gas exchange. Uh, so, so that's been our experience uh, with catheter-directed thrombolysis uh, in these patients. And we're really treating them just like we would treat uh, those patients who have not had COVID. Sure. Um, I know through our discussions, uh, Riaz, you've, sure. had, you've had a couple of remarkable cases. And, um, and, and I think just, just a description of, of those cases. I know would be of interest, and that could set the stage for 
some other comments regarding the field in general. Sure. Uh, Dr. Kamaroda, you know, a few months ago, there was a 64-year-old female who had COVID-19 infection and presented to our ER with shortness of breath, sudden shortness of breath, and, and had near syncopal event. Uh, her, she was tachycardiac and tachypneic with a blood pressure of 110 over 60, and she was saturating at 96% on three liters. Uh, her D-dimers were elevated, her lactate was elevated, her BNP and troponins were elevated. Her right ventricle was dilated with an RVLV ratio of two. So a pulmonary embolism response team uh, consultation was done and it was decided to proceed with catheter-directed thrombolysis. Uh, when she was brought to the cath lab, her hemodynamics showed that her cardiac index was 1.2 and her pulmonary artery saturations were 45%. Okay. So she was clearly in cardiogenic shock. Yes. So at this time, the team decided to place an arterial and a venous sheath in her groins and keep a standby ECMO in the cath lab uh, and went on to proceed with catheter-directed thrombolysis pharmacomechanically using the Bashir endovascular catheter in the right pulmonary artery and a short basket uh, Bashir endovascular catheter in the left pulmonary artery. And in four hours, she was saturating at 100% on two liters. Her blood pressure was 149 over 71. And she was discharged home uh, on Lovenox in four days and had a hospital length of stay of one day. That is pretty remarkable for a lady with massive PE. Uh, and uh, you know, she has done really well since then. Well, yeah, this is, it's absolutely remarkable. And, um, and perhaps now that you've gotten my attention, and I'm sure you've gotten the attention of all our listeners, um, there's got to be this novel drug delivery, which I think is, is illustrated so nicely by this case. Sure. This novel form of drug delivery, perhaps you can explain, number one, what the inspiration was for the catheter, and then number two, exactly what is the catheter and why is it performing so much better than standard catheter drip techniques? Sure, Dr. Gamaruda. You know, um, as you know, um, Earlier years, when I started my practice and we were using this single lumen infusion catheters, and we would get patients back to the cath lab, and majority of the thrombus was still there. And, uh, and I quickly realized that there was, there, were, there was one major issue that we were encountering, that these single lumen infusion catheters were devised for small arteries to dissolve a small volume of thrombus. And we were using the same devices in very large arteries, like pulmonary artery or the inferior vena cava. And, and these vessels are full of large volumes of thrombus. And we were expecting them to do a good job. And clearly they were not, and there was a significant amount of residual thrombus. So what I wanted to do was to have a dedicated device 
that could be used and developed for large vessels. And the second inspiration was because I'm an interventional cardiologist and I used to take care of myocardial infarction patients. And whenever we allowed the blood to flow in an occluded vessel, the thrombus would instantly resolve and it wouldn't be even in the microcirculation. And that was from the endo uh, endogenous fibrinolytics that the patient's own blood has. So what I wanted to do was to develop a device that could somehow enable the patient's own blood with its endogenous fibrinolytics to get into the thrombus and accelerate the fibrinolysis created and initiated by the tissue plasminogen activator. So, so those were my two inspirations that I really thought we could harness in treatment of venous thromboembolic disease. Now the device, the Bashir endovascular catheter or the family of catheters is a seven French device. And at its distal end, it has a infusion basket that is a spiral cut basket reinforced by nitinol. And the basket has 48 laser drilled infusion holes. And this basket can be expanded from three millimeters to 45 millimeters within the thrombus. And once the basket is expanded within the thrombus, these nitinol infusion limbs basically create fissures within the thrombus. And when we give a pulse spray through these infusion limbs with dilute TPA, what we are doing is we are creating these trapped bubbles of dilute TPA within the thrombus. And these dilute bubbles of TPA continue to lyse the clot even after we take the device out. And so that was one big uh, you know, advantage we thought from the device. And the second thing that when the spiral basket expands, it expands in a, in a helical fashion and that creates a big central lumen within the thrombus. And that brings the patient's own blood into the thrombus and restores the flow and therefore brings these endogenous fibrinolytics into the thrombus, which synergistically accelerate fibrinolysis. In, in cases with pulmonary embolism, uh, the big advantage of the device is that while you are performing thrombolysis, you can continuously monitor the pulmonary artery pressures and the pulmonary artery saturations. And that can potentially allow operators to stop the therapy once the pulmonary artery pressures or the pulmonary artery saturations normalize and therefore significantly reduce the dose of fibrinolytic used in these patients. Um, so uh, in, in case of deep vein thrombosis, what we also have is we have you know, one of the things we had realized with single lumen infusion catheters is that most of the TPA would come out of the proximal holes and not a lot of it would go to the distal holes. And when we get the patients the next day to the lab, we would see that their femoral and popliteal veins were open, 
but their common femoral and iliac veins or the cava was still totally occluded and full of thrombus. And we believe that this was because the TPA was coming out from the proximal holes and not going all the way to the distal large vessels. So what the Bashir Plus catheter is able to do is it has a dedicated infusion port for its basket and a dedicated infusion port for the shaft. And the shaft infusion lengths can vary from 10 to 40 millimeters. And uh, sorry, two, uh, 10 to 40 centimeters rather than uh, millimeters. And an operator can decide if he wants to give extra dose of TPA in the basket, he can elect to do that and use a lesser dose in a, in a vessel that has a smaller clot burden. So that in my mind is a significant advantage, particularly in patients with cable thrombosis because we can give a much higher dose into the basket in the inferior vena cava uh, than in the femoral vein. Sure. So uh, I know there has been a, uh, a very good experience so far in the initial uh, treatment of patients with uh, submassive pulmonary embolism. And, and you published a paper, a first in human, paper, uh, sure. you just summarize that for us. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about pulmonary embolism, then I want to get into uh, a little more detail on the, uh, the deep venous thrombosis. But I thought that first in human paper was important. Maybe you could review the results. Sure, Dr. Kamaroda. <clears throat> you know, uh, this study uh, was a small first in human safety and feasibility study of nine patients with uh, submassive pulmonary embolism. Uh, we used a total <coughs> dose of 14 milligrams of TPA in bilateral PE cases, which is seven milligrams of TPA on each side. Uh, there were zero major bleeding rates. There were zero device-related adverse events, and 100% of the devices were successfully deployed now that, uh, that's a very low. That's a very low dose. Uh, that's a very low uh, dose. That is correct. And, and that was our main target. We really wanted to keep the dose as low as possible. In fact, we have never seen in literature an intracranial hemorrhage in CDT patients using less than fifteen milligrams of TPA. Uh, and, and we were very surprised by one finding. Uh, in spite of only using 14 milligrams of TPA, we showed the highest reduction in clot burden using a CT scan and core lab at 48 hours. There was a 37% reduction in the thrombus burden in patients with pulmonary uh, embolism. And uh, in fact, this is the highest uh, clot burden reduction uh, then seen in any contemporary catheter-based trials to date. Um, so, so that was the study uh, that was published in circulation in cardiovascular interventions. And now we are uh, enrolling patients in our larger pivotal trial called the RESCUE trial. And uh, so far to date, we have enrolled 44 patients out of the 125 patients. And we're hopeful that by the end of this year, we'll complete uh, enrollment in the rescue trial. Well, uh, good luck, I'm sure. I'm sure you're gonna be very successful with that. Thank you. Um, 
And let's let's talk a little bit about iliofemoral DVT. And um, uh, we can't talk about that without at least addressing, recognizing the results of the TRACT trial. Sure. And um, I'll say a couple comments about that, about the trial, because I think it was exceptionally well run. Um, and Suresh Vedantam is, is a stellar uh, investigator, clinical investigator and, and a leader. And, and I had the privilege of being on the steering committee and helped design the protocol. And what our, what our primary endpoint was, was any post-thrombotic syndrome. That was the primary endpoint. And in retrospect, I think we made a mistake using any primary endpoint because about 30% of these patients will have, will have uh, valvular incompetence before they develop DVT. And with that valvular incompetence in the deep system, they've got to have some symptoms that are similar to post-thrombotic symptoms. So we can't help those patients, obviously, reverse pre-existing valvular incompetence. And of course, Susan Kahn uh, confirmed that in her uh, recent uh, paper uh, showing that patients had, had Volalta scores consistent with post-thrombotic syndrome before they had their DVT. Sure. And uh, so that's one issue. Uh, the other issue is um, when you look at all of the patients with iliofemoral DVT entered into the trial, 14% were entered with the normal Volalta score, normal. And then another, another 33 came in with a, with a, um, a very mild disease Volalta score. And you can't help those patients. So that's almost 50% of the patients. But despite that, those patients with iliofemoral DVT randomized to uh, pharmacomechanical thrombolysis had a significant reduction in moderate and severe post-thrombotic syndrome, had a significant reduction in pain and swelling, and had a significant improvement in quality of life compared to the patient's randomized anticoagulation alone. So I think in reality, although missing the primary endpoint, which was a Volalta score of less than five, uh, the ATTRACT trial is demonstrate, has demonstrated very effective, uh, effective results and beneficial results in those patients treated with the strategy of thrombus removal, catheter-based strategy of thrombus removal. And uh, you did mention, um, Dr. Bashir, you did mention that there's a, you have a catheter that's dedicated to the venous system, to iliofemoral DVT, and it's particularly effective in the cable, uh, in the patient with cable thrombosis. And, uh, sure. And I know you have an interesting uh, case that I think would be worthwhile summarizing, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, sure. Uh, Dr. Kamarota, this is another COVID-positive patient. He was a 34-year-old gentleman who came to Temple in the height of the pandemic uh, with a swollen left thigh and left leg. 
Uh, he was also tachycardiac and had multiple uh, COVID lesions on his CT scan, so they kept him in ICU for three days on therapeutic anticoagulation without any benefit. And three days later, uh, the attending called me and said, can we do anything else? And I took him to the lab, did his catheter-directed thrombolysis with the Bashir endovascular catheter plus 30, and we were able to discharge him home from the ICU on the same day. And I remember making that phone call to the attending and telling him, you can send this patient home today. <laughs> and he was <laughs> delighted and grateful that he could use the bed for another patient. So, so really, I think uh, this shortening the length of stay is, has been a true uh, boon to, to particularly young patients with iliofemoral deep vein thrombosis. Sure. Well, um, where, where do you plan to go from here? Do you plan any studies with uh, iliofemoral and cable thrombosis with the Bashir catheter? That Kamarota, I think, I think that is the most logical next step. Uh, you know, we're currently enrolling patients in the rescue trial and, and hopefully, once we complete the rescue trial, the next logical step would be uh, to do a randomized trial of uh, iliofemoral DVT with anticoagulation uh, and catheter pharmacomechanical catheter-directed thrombolysis using the Bashir endovascular catheter, uh, which I believe is dedicated for use in iliocable vessels. Um, so hopefully, uh, we'll be, we'll have some good news, uh, coming soon. Well, uh, we're indebted to you, Riaz, for developing this catheter. And the, the way I understand this catheter, it's, uh, it's, it's like six, six infusion wires that, that expand and then fissure, fissure the clot. And by fissuring the clot, you, you increase the surface area of all those molecules of fibrin-bound plasminogen, increase it logarithmically sure. by, by many logs. Mm -hmm. and, and as I understand it, you're delivering a very dilute uh, TPA solution, but you're delivering it in high volume. So you're basically getting very good saturation of the clot uh, when you expand the basket and then infuse. And then I... I Absolutely. I, 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 that is a very important point. I forgot to, to mention that earlier. What I usually do in deep vein thrombosis patients is I take four milligrams of TPA and dilute it in 100 cc's of normal saline. And after that, I give 10 cc's at each level along the length of the thrombus uh, with an expanded basket. And that expanded basket is what really saturates the thrombus with this dilute TPA. Okay. So you're taking a dilute TPA solution and in this iliofemoral clot, a hundred cc's as as a bolus, correct as a pulse at a, at a very low dose, and then you continue the infusion after that. That that is correct. 
at 100 cc's an hour? We, we 100 cc's an hour, but sure. it, it, I, it, I, I think that's so insightful with the way we understand lytic therapy to work with catheter-based techniques. You're really taking thank the, you. uh, the, um, the, the physiology of clotting because in the process of clotting, the uh, plasminogen is altered within the clot. Sure. And, mm -hmm. and it's altered in such a way that if it comes in contact with the plasminogen activator, it activates very quickly uh, much more quickly than it does in the systemic circulation. So I think it's taken advantage of the inherent physiology of blood clotting. To that, that's, that's, Dr. Kamara, that's exactly what our idea was, that we would, we would use the endogenous fibrinolytic systems synergistically with very dilute amounts of exogenously administered tissue plasminogen activator and in very dilute amounts. Well, it seems that you are achieving, have achieved, but you're, you're proving it that you have achieved your goal. And, um, and I think this is truly uh, novel therapy, uh, uh, this catheter, novel drug delivery and novel therapy for a, a very important and serious problem that we have, big time iliofemoral BVT high-risk submassive and massive pulmonary embolism, uh, that can be treated safely. So, that, that's, thank you very much for your kind words, Dr. Kamarota. Thank you. Well, I, I think uh, I, I do believe uh, our listeners will understand, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll, uh, they'll benefit by um, employing this therapy for their patients, because... Um, based upon the data that I've seen, it's really uh, an impressive step forward in, in this important area. The, I, I hope so too, Dr. Kamarota, and I hope it benefits our patients, which is why we developed it and worked on it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, and, um, and I look forward to uh, seeing further results, and uh, I anxiously await the results of the rescue trial. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Bashir, for joining us. Thank and you. Thank Thanks you. for the invitation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this Vein Magazine podcast, talking about a subject that really is here to stay. And now that we have better devices, including the Bashir catheter, we can treat our patients more efficiently, and safely and in fact even get better results than some of our traditional methods. Regarding my podcast, we've developed a new online all video magazine called Venus Edge and you can go to it at obviously venusedge.com. It's free to all. Discussions are in a video format, short, succinct, and practical. So I hope you continue to enjoy the Vein Magazine podcast, but also take a look at Venus Edge at venusedge.com. We'll see you in both places.